right. Well, we are in a series called Worry versus Wisdom. And uh, I don't know why my technology is not working, but we can get past it anyway. I keep it dropping. Uh, and what we've been talking about is the fact that we all tend to worry about different things. You might worry about your kids. You might worry about your job. You might worry about uh, uh, politics, um, although there's nothing to worry about. Everything's peachy. They all get along, so that's good. Uh, but you, you, there might be something. You might be worried about a relationship, okay? And so... What we've been talking about is what are those things that we worry about, and then what does the Word of God have to say about it? That's the wisdom part. And so uh, what I want to talk about this morning is a uh, disease that a lot of us have. Uh, It's gotten worse over the years uh, with social media. You probably have this disease. You might not even know you have this disease. It's a silent killer. Uh, You might be uh, on uh, Facebook contracting some of this disease. You might be on Instagram and all of a sudden, oh boy, and you don't know what it is. You start breaking out in a rash and uh, it's, it's very prevalent. If you're online at all, it's very prevalent. Still, what are you laughing? Somebody needs to control this woman. By the way, um, today, uh, my wife and I, Lisa, have been married for 29 years. We did it. My in-laws didn't even think we'd make it through two years, so that was pretty good. But this disease is called FOMO. FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. So you could be like, you get home from a long day's work, and you come home, and you're tired, and you get in your pajamas. Is it pajamas or pajamas? Yeah. All right. Let's call the whole thing off. Okay. Okay. you get in your pajamas, pajamas, and you're ready to just relax, and you pick up your phone, and you go on Facebook, and you notice that somebody's having a way better time than you, way better. Maybe they're at a party, maybe they're with some friends, maybe they look, and they just look fantastic, and you think, oh man, and it ruins your evening because somebody else is having a good time, maybe because you're not there or whatever, or you look at their relationship. Tonight, I am going to be posting on Facebook some picture probably of Lisa and I at a nice romantic dinner because it's our 29-year anniversary. And you may look at that and go, I wish I had a marriage like that. I wish I had a wife like that. Well, you do wish you had a wife like that, but, uh, but, but you, you have this fear of missing out. Sometimes it doesn't even come through social media. Sometimes it comes through something on the news you, you, you read and you, you think about a company that you wanted to invest in and the stock price keeps going up and now you're like, oh, I don't know if I should invest in it now. I, I feel like I've missed out on, on that. Maybe you had a relationship that w- w- was, was going okay and then stopped going okay or whatever and you feel like, man, if I, I, I'm single. I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like my best years are, are, are being wasted because I'm not in a relationship that I'm, I'm, because I'm single. And there's this fear of missing out. Maybe it's something that you want to dabble in that you know the word of God says, no, you can't, can't not, that's not for you right now. That's not for you maybe ever. That's not uh, the right thing. And you think, man, I just feel like by following God's word, I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on life. Well, what I want to talk about this morning is uh, the fact that we all struggle with this, and we've been struggling with it since the beginning of time. And then what I want to talk about is what's the antidote 
to that because you're going to struggle with it. You're going to see because here, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. You have a version of you that you think is the best version of you. And if you're not reaching that version, oftentimes you can get down on yourself and you can feel like a failure. So I have a version of me that speaks fluent Spanish, okay? This is a, ver- this is a version of me. I-, I-, can- I can picture myself. I can picture myself walking in, everyone's speaking Spanish, and I'm just like, ha, 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 and I'm just, because that's how you speak Spanish. Okay, okay right? <laughs> and so, so it's very, very happy when you speak Spanish, right? And so, so, so yeah, I've been studying Spanish, and I've been taking these online classes, and I've been reading, and I get a magazine that's in Spanish and English from our denomination, and I re- try to read it in Spanish and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I... I hate the fact that I can't speak Spanish fluently. Like, that's the best version of me. So now I don't even enjoy practicing. I don't enjoy my classes. I don't enjoy anything because I have a version of me that is impossible for me to achieve. See what I'm saying? You might have this with your weight. You might have this with your intellect. Maybe the best version of you was supposed to go to law school. And you dropped out of college. And so... Now, every time you think about it, every time you hear the word lawyer, every time your mother-in-law shows up and says, I thought you were going to be a lawyer, all that, you just have that, that, that fear of, I, I'm, I'm not my best self. I'm, I'm not the version of me that I expect. Maybe the best version of you is married with two and a half kids, and you live in a house with a white picket fence, and for every day you go and you don't have a spouse, is treacherous because you just go, oh, I, that, I can see the best version of me. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe you have a version of you that uh, has saved up for retirement and you are going to end up traveling when you were 67. You were going to retire and you're going to start traveling the world. And as you're getting older, you begin looking at your bank account going, I'm going to have to get two more jobs just to be able to retire. And you have this fear that you're not going to be the best version of you. Well, uh, what happened in the very beginning of time in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, okay? I don't know exactly how he did it. I don't know exactly how long it took, okay? But there they are. And they've got it made. They have their retirement all done. Like by the minute, the second they were made, they, had to, they were being taken care of by God. They didn't have to worry about food. They were naked, just frolicking around. They didn't, they didn't care. It was like, it was like they were like, it was, it was like perfect. High, they have a relationship with their heavenly father that's real. He used to walk in the cool of the day and just hang with them, right? It's like, it's like going great until Satan, or the serpent in this narrative, gives Eve another version of herself. A version, the the, the lie that was told to Eve was that there's a better version of you out there. And God wants to hold it back from you. Here's what he says. They're they're walking through the garden and they they come to this tree, okay? The, The knowledge of good and evil. And she says, I can't have that because I'm going to die. I'll die. And here's here's what Satan says to her. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like 
God knowing good and evil. And all of a sudden, a seed was planted in Eve. There's a better version of me out there. And I have to go around what God has. God is trying to hold me back. He's trying to, he's trying to hold me from, a, from a, the best version of me of knowing good and evil. And so uh, when the woman saw, um, that, uh, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why you and I struggle with the very same thing. Maybe it's our past and we feel like we're just damaged goods now. That we could never get to the best version of me. So that's how it first came out. Eve sees this better version of herself and she, she buys into the lie. So fast forward, that sin began to bring sin into, uh, into the world. And God wanted to restore his relationship back with his people. And so he started the whole nation of Israel. And, and so through Abraham, and uh, they, they go through all that. But they, they, can't, they keep thinking that there's a better version than what God has. So they start worshiping idols. And they start not taking care of the poor. And they start uh, focusing in, inwardly on themselves because they're, they're trying to get to a version of themselves that, that um, is different than what God has for them because they don't trust him. And so they end up in slavery. And then they want to get out of slavery. And the version of themselves is that they're going to get a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God gets them out of slavery and they go into this land flowing with milk and honey and, and, uh, and they can't handle it. There's always something next. There's always something beyond. And so they, they go into, this, the, into the the uh, into the nation of Israel. And they start to look around and they see that all the other nations have a king. And so Samuel, who's the prophet at the time, they said, we want a king. And Samuel's like, no, 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 no. You do not want a king. Trust me. That is a bad version. Okay. God will be your king. And to their defense, they're like, that would be great if we could just see him. You know, he's kind of like, we believe he's there, but I mean, I'm, how, how do you have a king that isn't, like, is invisible? And Samuel says, this is what's going to happen. If you get a king, he's going to take your sons and put them into the, to the army, chariots and all this kind of stuff, and he's going to take your daughters. And he's going to put them into the palace, and he's going to uh, have them work for him. That's what's going to happen. Look at this. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations. With a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And as we sung this morning, he fights our battles. He's the one that takes care of us. So here's what I want us to get. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this. The best version of you is the one closest to Jesus. The best version of you is the one closest to Jesus. It's not the thinnest version, maybe. It's not the richest version. It's not the smartest version. It's not the bilingual version. <laughs> the best version of you is the one closest to Jesus. In fact, that's all he calls us to. What's, what, what was his, how does he call? Follow me. 
follow me. Wait, 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 but, but, but I, wanna, I need to go down here because my, my mom said that I should be a doctor. Come here. Like I've said before, my dog, I, I, when I call my dog, I say this way, this way. I don't tell him to come. I just say this way. I'm going this way. You're going this way. And he doesn't obey me, but that's what I say. I picture Jesus. I start getting upset. Oh, boy, what about, what about the church? What about this? What about that? Hey, this way. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Heal. <laughs> right up. He doesn't say that. And so, so they want this king. And God's like, no, no, no. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. I'll be your king. They can't help it. So they go and they get a king. Kish had a son named Saul. This is so cool. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. Huh? And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now, through science uh, and through technology, uh, we actually have a picture of Saul. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, he's a good looking man. Okay? Okay, ladies? Okay? Keep those eyes back in your head, okay? No, I'm just kidding. This is actually uh, the picture of Saul. Um, so, <laughs> so, for those of you who are new, I kind of have a, yeah, yeah, people are like getting up and walking out. Okay. All right. So he has this thing. And, and, and it's really fascinating to me how, what God does here. He says, okay, you can have your king. And I'll get a king by your standards. Because he knows we want the biggest and most attractive. Because when we operate in the flesh, we think more is better. We think attractive is better. We think smarter is better. We think all of these things. So God has, has a, a, a go to, um, to this guy, Saul. Well, so Saul becomes king. And he has, he, he's in trouble already. He's having problems with these Philistines. He can't beat them. As a matter of fact, what the Philistines were doing was they didn't want any of the Israelites to have any steel because they didn't want them making weapons. And so what they would do is um, they wouldn't allow them to have any blacksmiths. So if you wanted to get like a, your, your, your hoe um, sharpened or you needed to get something sharpened, you had to go to the Philistines and they charged exorbitant amounts of money. They hated the Philistines and the Philistines hated them. And so this is where Saul is. He's on a battlefield. You guys know the story. All of a sudden, David comes. David brings some cheese and some bread to his brothers. And, and David's just like, what, what the heck is this all about? Because Goliath was mocking them. And David says, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. And so Saul was like, great. And so he goes out and he kills Goliath. You guys know the story, right? David and Goliath. And so what happens is you would think that Saul would be happy. But Saul has this fear of missing out. Saul is sitting there going, I should have been the one. I should have been. Oh, man, this guy David, he's going to get all the glory. As a matter of fact, they come back into uh, the city. And when the men were returning from home, after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul. They were going to meet King Saul. They weren't going for any other thing. And they were singing and dancing with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. And they danced and they sang this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. It's just a song. It's just the lyric in a song. 
It's just, and it's not even true. Saul hadn't killed thousands, and David only killed one guy, okay? And so it, it's, it's not even true. But because Saul has the same thing we do, this sense of like, I'm not getting what I deserve. There's a better version of me where the ladies come out and they just sing a song to me. You're amazing. You're awesome. You've killed 10,000s. I don't care if it's true or not. I can just picture that. And this is exactly what happens to him. Saul was very angry. His refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But to me, only thousands. (laughs) Like, boo, who? (laughs) What more can he get but the kingdom? He starts thinking to himself, oh, he's going he's gonna to take, uh, okay, not only is there a better version of me, he's going to take what I have. This is a scarcity mentality. That if, I don't, if I don't get what's mine, someone else is going to get what's mine and then I won't be mine. And I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out on the best version of me. So he goes through this. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. What began to happen as you go through 1 Samuel is that Saul, it starts to eat Saul up. It just start, it's, he starts getting tormented by this idea that David is better than him. I just want to point something out. And this is, you can take this home if you want. There are people that are better than you. I'm sorry. To break the news. There are people that are smarter. There are people that play music better. There are people that speak eight languages. There are people that make more money than you. There are people that you know, fill, fill in the blank. And so the more we begin to compare and contrast and this, and I should have gotten that raise, and I should have gotten this, it begins to eat us alive. And so what happened one day, Paul, uh, David, because Saul would get so tormented, David would come in and play the guitar, essentially. And I would like super, I would like chill Saul out, right? But one day, Saul's just like, he even plays guitar better than me. <laughs> and he throws a spear at David. And he puts David on the run. He, he, in the beginning, he, uh, he planned to give Michael, his daughter, to David so that Michael could like sabotage him. And Michael falls in love with him, right? So he's like, Oh, my daughter. His, his son, Jonathan, becomes David's best friend. He can't, Saul can't win because he's so self-absorbed with this idea that there's some other version of him. Finally, David becomes king. And you would think of all the things that David experienced, hiding out in caves, killing Goliath, seeing what happens when you care too much or that you, you're trying to get something that doesn't belong to you, whatever, you would think that he would get it. That he wouldn't think that there was anything that he was missing out on. I mean, you look at Saul, he was the most attractive. I mean, imagine this. If somebody said, like there was a consensus, and you were the most attractive person in the country, <laughs> that'd be cool. And you were taller than everybody. You'd think you'd be very self-assured. He wasn't. And so David, you'd think he'd see that. But we fast forward to 2 Samuel. And we see David struggling with the exact same thing. It says this. In the springtime, when kings go off to war, I guess that's what they did back then, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites 
and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now this, you got to understand what, what he's got going here. He's the king. He's the king. He can have anything he wants. He's the king. If he wants to give himself a raise, he can give himself a raise. He's got two wives at this point, so he's got more than enough, <laughs> right? He's got, he's got access to everything. In, in the, he's got access to the armies, right? He's got access to, you know, if he wants to surround himself, if he wants to have someone come and take a fan and wave it at him and he eats grapes, he can do that. He's the king. And he decides to stay at home. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The, the woman was very beautiful. And David thought to himself, there's a better version of me out there. And that's the version that's sleeping with her. And so, because he's king, he decides, I'm going to have someone just, I'm just going to find out who she is, you know. And so she has someone go find out. That's Bathsheba. She's married, by the way. And so, you know, t too bad. And David has her come to the palace, and he sleeps with her. And his life just unravels. Why? Because he thought there was a better version of himself. He thought somebody was holding something back from him. Your best version of you is the one closest to Jesus. It's not the one in a relationship. It's not the one with kids or not kids. It's not the one with retirement or no retirement. Your best version of you is the one that's closest to Jesus. And so David, because he couldn't, he couldn't imagine a version of himself without Bathsheba, he commits this sin, and basically it starts this downward spiral. She gets pregnant. He has her husband killed, murdered. I mean, he just, it's just this spiral. Why? Because all he needed to do was go to his heavenly father and go, Heavenly Father, I, I know, I know the, what you've set up for me. I'm king. I want to be a good king. I want to lead your people. I, I don't want to do anything to get in the way of that. But he chose his own flesh instead. The Apostle Paul talks about this, and we'll end in this particular section of Scripture. He's writing to a church in Philippi. They had sent him a gift, and it's kind of funny the way Paul does this. He is in like typical Paul fashion. He's trying to thank them for the gift, but he doesn't want them to think that the gift is that important. But he was really thankful, but, and it just comes out like weird. It's like, thank you so much for the gift, but I could have gotten along without it because of God. You know, it's like, okay, you know, yeah. here's what he says. He says, thank you. And then he says, not that I speak from want. Now, now, now pay attention here, because this is really important. What Paul's saying is, I can get to a place where I actually might need something. I actually might uh, have a better version of me that does have, is in a relationship, does have more money or whatever. But that's not going to be my focus. I'm not going to spend my whole focus, my whole life going around the fear of missing out. Oh, I, should, I wish I had done that. I wish I had taken that job. I wish I had finished school. I wish I had, no, no. We start it from here. He says, not that I speak from want. For I've learned to be content. I've learned to be 
content. You know what's so encouraging about this? You can learn to be content. It's something you learn. It's not something that's given to you. It's not something you arrive at where you get the right job and the right house and the right kids and the right car and the right thing and you go, ah, I'm content. No, what the Bible tells you is that you can learn to be content. There's a frame of mind you can get into where you can say, you know what? I have all that I need right now. It's fascinating to me as our country gets wealthier with more options and more information, more choices, we get more depressed. <laughs> like, like we're addicted to pain medication more than we ever have in, in our history. Even with all these choices. Because we have not learned how to be content. He says, not only have I learned to be content, he goes on, in whatever circumstances I am. Now imagine if we went all the way back to Eve. And she, the serpent says to Eve, oh, you know, he, God's, God, you're not going to die. You're going to know the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve took an inventory. She said, I, I, I got a smoking hot husband. Uh, all my needs are taken care of. Uh, I get to hang out with God. Eh, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Or I'll talk to my heavenly father about it tomorrow and see if, if he'll change his mind or something. We wouldn't be in the mess we're in. Imagine if the nation of Israel, they said, you, you don't want a king. Let God be your king. And they said, you know what? Okay, let's try that. Let's try that option to be content. Let's do it his way. Imagine what would happen in whatever circumstances I'm in. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. In other words, he knows what it's like to be poor. When I was poor, I, I grew up relatively poor. When I was poor, all I thought about was making money. That's all I thought. I was 12 years old. I got a paper out. I'm like, ah, finally, I can make money, make my own money. 12 years old. I missed out on being 12 years old because all I was thinking about was money. How many things am I missing out on now because I'm not content enough where I am? I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. I like the fact that he said that. Because some of us are doing fine. You know, you're doing well. And you're like, boy, are you saying that I shouldn't retire? Like, no, no, go be great. But just don't let that be so much of your focus that you work all the way up until you're 67 and you finally retire and you've missed out on your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s of being present. Goes on. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul says there's the secret about how to be in whatever circumstance you're in and to be content. And you can learn it. You say, well, how, what, what's the secret? But how, what, what's the secret? I mean, how do, like, like if he found the secret, like, could he tell us? He does. In the very next verse, he gives us the secret. And basically what he's saying is, the best version of you, whether you're rich, poor, single, married, divorced, a student, where, where you are in your career, the best version of you is the one that's closest to Jesus. This is what he says. I can do all things 
through him who strengthens me. Maybe you're not the best version of you right now. Okay? Maybe you made a mistake in your 20s and that's been following you around. Maybe, maybe you had a relationship that would have turned out fine and now it's, it's dashed against the rock. Maybe that's the case. But maybe, even in the midst of that, even in you not becoming the best version of you, you can experience a relationship with Jesus that makes it up the difference. That's your best version of you is the one that's closest to Jesus. 